Will you turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts? This is a one-verse message this morning in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's a very familiar passage, I'm sure. And this uh, verse has become my life verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, as I read the Word of God out of respect and honor for the Word of God as I read our text for today. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The words of Dr. Luke, the Acts of the Apostle, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Father, I ask you today to bless your word. Just use me, Lord, to, to be a challenge and an encouragement and a help, Lord, to the brothers and sisters who are gathered here today. May we hear your words and follow you and obey you with all our heart. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, God bless you. you may be seated. I want to unfold uh, this message today. There, I believe there are three truths in this passage I want to share with you this morning. I call this uh, message this morning, Last Words. Last words, you know, are important. There was a man, and he was in his pickup truck here in Texas, and he's getting ready to cross a railroad crossing, and uh, there was a train coming down the track, and he's looked down the track, his last words, I can beat that train, but he didn't. There's a tombstone in London, England, and on that tombstone are the last words of a lady who's buried there in London. Her last words were, I told you I was sick. I have served as a chaplain for the Dallas Police Department for the last 30 years. A few weeks ago, I was called to Parkland Hospital for three of our officers had been shot, I'm sure you read about that or saw that in the news, where I ministered to those families that night. Unfortunately, I've been too many times to Parkland Hospital to minister to police officers and their families. On one occasion, I was there at Parkland, and uh, the last words of the police officer that I was ministering to that night were these. Tell Debbie I love her. You know, last words are important. But the last words of Jesus are so important, they are to be obeyed. Jesus' last words are so important, he said it five times. He said it in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. He said it in Mark 16, 15, go and preach the gospel to all nations. He said it in Luke 24, and then in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And here in this passage I just read for you this morning are the last words of Jesus Christ before he ascended into heaven. Now his last words, my friends, they're great words, they're good words, but they're not a suggestion, they're not just a good idea. My friends, these last words are commands from the Lord Jesus Christ. Question, folks, church, who was Jesus speaking to when he said these last words? Was he speaking to his church, this building? He was speaking to his church, right? He was speaking to his disciples. But more than that, my friends, this morning, Jesus 
is speaking these last words to you and me this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a born-again believer, these last words this morning are not suggestions to you this morning. My friends, these last words from Jesus are words of commands to be obeyed. He's speaking these words to you and me, to his church. Now, there's another verse of Scripture I want to make you aware of that Jesus said. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said these words, The gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Is that a true statement? Is that a true statement? That's a question. Yes? Gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Then let me ask you a question. Why then are 80%, over 80% of the churches in America plateaued, declining, and dying? Now, First Baptist Keller, my friends, you may not realize this, but it's an aberration. You see, for the last 15 years, I have been serving all over Texas as an interim pastor, helping churches that are unhealthy and dysfunctional and helping them become Acts 1-8 churches, leading them to become missional, leading them to fulfill the mission and the commands of Jesus. Because you see, the reason why those churches are unhealthy and dysfunctional, they're not growing and they're declining and dying, is because they are not obedient to the words of Jesus Christ and the Great Commission. That, my friends, is our, our, our mission orders, our mission orders, our marching orders to obey the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus' last words here in Acts 1-8, I believe he is giving us three truths this morning that I want to share with you that you and I as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, as his disciples, not only we're to know it, and folks, I know and I believe that this is not a new truth to you. You've heard it from Pastor Keith, you've heard it from the pulpit here many times, these words in Acts 1-8. The question is, not do we know it, but are we obeying the last words of Jesus? You see, that's true discipleship, when we obey the words of Jesus. Now I want you to look, first of all, in verse 8, there are three truths, I believe, in this passage I want to unfold for you this morning. Look at the first phrase there. It says, but you, notice his emphasis on you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I believe what that verse is saying very simply is that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, we must be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit daily. This morning, I got up and I did two things. I got up and took a shower this morning and got clean. Aren't you ladies glad I got clean this morning? But I also got up this morning and got my heart clean before the Lord. Because you see, I can't share the word of God with you in power and in truth without being cleansed and filled by the Holy Spirit of God. You see, that's not just for preachers or evangelists or, or missionaries. But you see, that command of Jesus for you and I to be controlled and filled by the Holy Spirit is for every believer. That's the normal Christian life, and most people living the abnormal Christian life, we're not walking and being controlled and led and filled by the Holy Spirit of God daily. My friends, if you're going to be a growing, dynamic, godly, Acts 1-8 Christian, Jesus is saying you must be filled with the Holy Spirit of God daily. 
In Ephesians 5, 18, it says, Be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that word be ye filled is a continuous action word which means daily, continually. You see, because I take a shower every day because I get dirty. And I get with the Lord every day and confess and forsake and repent of my sins because I get dirty spiritually. And I have to be filled with the Holy Spirit if I'm going to be an effective Christian for the Lord and serve the Lord. And you do too, my friends. Every day as Christians, as believers, we must be controlled and filled by the Holy Spirit every day. Now, we cannot please God and we cannot do the work of God and have the Holy Spirit's power in our life unless we are filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth me, without me you can do everything. Oh, what did it say? Jesus said, without me you can do absolutely nothing. I added the absolutely. You see, we can't live the Christian life without walking and controlled and being filled with the Holy Spirit daily. Now here's a question. How can you tell if a person is filled with the Holy Spirit? Is it they fall down on the ground and start laughing, do crazy wild things, jump over the pews? Is that a manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit? I believe the Bible teaches there are two primary ways that you can tell a person is filled by the Holy Spirit. Number one, they'll be a bold witness for Jesus Christ. They'll share Jesus. They'll... They, they love Jesus and they want to follow him and want the world to know about the gospel, the good news, the love of Christ. And they share their testimony. They share witness for Christ. They're a bold witness for the Lord. That's the first manifestation. And the second manifestation, I believe, of being filled with the Holy Spirit is love. L-O-V-E. You see, the first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Jesus said you can know that we are his disciples by our love one for another. You see, the manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit is love. We'll have a love for God. We'll have a love for people. We'll have a love for lost people. We will be love. A few years ago, I was called to pastor a church that had gone through a division, a split, a separation, there was some animosity and some anger and frustration toward each other in that fellowship, in that church. And uh, the only problem was, you know, they were still there together in the same building, but they were divided, they were split, there was a, a schism, there was anger, there was meanness, hostility going on in that church. And I was called to be the pastor, thank you Jesus. And I went there in the first few months and was trying to bring some healing and some unity and some love into the church. And I'll never forget, I walked into that church one day into the foyer and had these two big chairs there sitting in the front of the uh, foyer area of the church. And there were two ladies there talking. One was an older lady and the other was a younger lady. And uh, I could tell <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of love between those two ladies. I mean, they were just getting after it, just going on and on and on. And the younger lady left, and I walked, I'll never forget this, I walked up to the older ladies after the younger lady left, and I said, ma'am, I didn't sense a whole lot of love between the two of you ladies. And here's what she said to me. She said, oh, pastor, I love her. 
I just don't love her close up. I love her from afar. (laughs) Friends, when you love Jesus, you will love people close up. Amen? Now, there are some people, granted, that, that are hard to love. But Jesus said, Matthew 5, 44, that we are to love even our enemies. You see, we don't have a choice in that. And, you know, sometimes, I'll have to admit to you, even as a pastor, I've had people leave my church getting promotions and so forth, and they were really good, sweet people. And I said, Lord, why would you take them? Let me give you the list of the ones I want you to take, Lord. And leave the good ones here, Lord. But some of those people, you know, that were kind of God's thorn in the flesh for me, I had to learn, Lord, you want me to love them? Your grace is sufficient even to love the hard ones. And friends, that's what you've got to do. You know, you can't go down Walmart and walk down another aisle to avoid somebody that you, you know, you're at odds with. You've got to love everybody because Jesus has commanded us to do that. And that's how we know we're filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit when we have love for people. Amen? Amen? Can we go on? That's the first truth. The second truth here in this passage is, it says, look at it. It says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. In other words, we are to witness about Jesus. Now, what is a witness? The word witness in the, in the Greek is martyrice. We get our word martyr from it. Those are people who died for their faith. They laid down their lives for Jesus, for the cause of Christ, and they suffered persecution, and, and they, many of them went to the cross and were burned at the stake, and they had bad things happen to them because they loved a loving God, and they stood for him. A witness is one who simply tells the facts, tells the truth, what they know, what they've seen, and what they've experienced about Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I was invited to be a, a character witness in a trial, and uh, there was a man there who was on trial, and I was asked to give a testimony about the man's character. And I'll never forget, the judge uh, had me to stand there, and, and I, you know, I don't know whether they still do this or not, but had me put my hand on the Bible and says, Dr. Souter, do you promise to tell the whole truth, nothing about the truth, so help you God? And, and then he said, and just the facts. Don't embellish it. Just tell us the facts, Dr. Souter. I, you know, don't, don't go into great detail, but just tell us the facts, what you know. And I did. Let me tell you, my friends, some facts this morning. I was born in Fort Worth and raised in Hearst, not far from here. Y'all know where Hearst is? Uh, born to Bill and Dodie Souter. My father, Bill Souter, was the mayor of Hearst for 25 years. My mother worked for three congressmen, Pete Guerin, Jim Wright, and Kay Granger uh, in the congressional office in Fort Worth, and I have two sisters, uh, Billy, who's an attorney here in Keller, and Dixie, was a school teacher, lives in Dallas. And uh, Karen and I have been married for 44 years. We have two children, uh, Shelly, our firstborn, Scott, our son, and our beautiful granddaughter, Ava. And after the service, I'll be happy to show you pictures. <laughs> so I was born in, Her- in Fort Worth, raised in Hearst all my life. 
except when I went to Florida for 10 years to pastor there. And I grew up in First Baptist Church of Hearst. And I started uh, attending Sunday school and church at a very early age. In fact, I started going to Sunday school and church nine months before I was born. You get that. And uh, my parents took me to Sunday school and to church and Sunday night and Wednesday night. I mean, we just, we were in church all the time. And, uh, you know, I heard the gospel. We had, we had some great gospel uh, preaching evangelists in our church. We had uh, uh, T.D. Hall, Jimmy Morgan, Bob Eklund. They were some of the pastors over in Hearst. And uh, as I was growing up, I'd heard the gospel presented and proclaimed very clearly, very simply. But, you know, I knew about Jesus up here. But I'd never had accepted him in my heart, 18 inches away. And I knew that if I died at that point in time in my life, I was going to go straight to hell because I didn't know Christ. I knew about him. I was raised in the church. You know, and went regularly, faithfully with my parents, but had never been saved, never been born again. One day, my pastor, T.D. Hall, came to my home, and he shared the gospel with me and explained to me how to be saved. And he asked me some questions. He said, Danny, do you know that Jesus loves you? Of course, he read John 3.16 about God's love to me. And then he said, Danny, do you recognize and admit that you're a sinner? And I thought a moment. I remember how in the fourth grade I had stolen some things uh, from my class and Crayolas and some pens and pencils. And yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've, I've stolen things. And how my teacher asked me about that and how I had lied. And I thought about how I had been so mean to my two sisters. And, you know, I just whoop up on them. You know, I just really was really very bad and a mean brother. And so I said, yes, I'm a sinner. I've done some bad things at that point in stage of my life. And he said, Danny, that's, that's the bad news, that you're a sinner. He said, but the good news is this, Danny, that Jesus Christ died on, your, on the cross for all of your sins. But he said, Danny, it's not enough to know that God loves you and that you're a sinner and that Jesus died for your, your cross for your sins. Danny, you must repent of your sins and invite Christ to come into your heart and receive you as Lord and Savior. I said, Brother Hall, how do I do that? He said, you just need to pray and be sincere. And it's not a matter of saying a magic prayer. It's not a matter of just going through the words, but you've got to mean it down deep in your heart that you really want Jesus to come to your heart and Lord and Savior. And I did. And at that moment, when I was 13 years old, I bowed my head and I surrendered my heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came into my life. Now, after I had prayed that prayer, there were no lights flashing, no bells ringing, but this simple peace in my heart that I was saved. I was born again. And listen, my friends, I've never gotten over that. That Jesus has been with me all of my life. And as a pastor, I've been through some tough times. You know, pastors have tough times. And we've had some challenges in our family. But Jesus is with me. And Jesus has never let me down. He's always been faithful. Praise God. Now, friends, do you realize what I've just done for you? I've just told you a part of my story. I just told you how I got saved, how I came to know the Lord, 
Now, I didn't stop with that. That wasn't the end of the story, but that was how I initially met Christ. A pastor led me to faith in Jesus Christ, and I was born again saved when I was 13 years old. And when I was 20, God spoke to me boldly again in a service in, the, in my church where Dr. Brother Hall was preaching. And I surrendered to Christ and to follow him in ministry. And I've been in ministry now for over 40 years, as best I can do, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. My friends, that's my story. But here's my question for you. Do you have a story? Do you have a witness? Are you sharing your story? I've just shared my story with you. When is the last time that you have shared your testimony? Let me ask you, are there any saved people here this morning? If you are, let me see your hand. Any saved, born-again people here this morning? Well, listen, I believe every one of you raised your hands. You've got a story. Are you sharing your story? Let me tell you who your story needs to begin with. It needs to begin with your children and your grandchildren and your neighbors, those people that are in your circle of influence. That's where you need to begin to tell your story. Those are the people that you can be Jesus to. Those are the people that will listen to you because you have an influence on them. And if you will share your story, some of those people will get saved. Some of those people want your Jesus. But friends, you must tell your story. Let me ask you a question. I fly on these airplanes all the time, you know, going all over the places around the world where the Lord leads me to. And I've noticed on these planes where I go, there are two wings usually on most of these planes. There's one on the left side and one on the right side. Have you noticed that? Let me ask you a question. Which wing is the most important, the left wing or the right wing? Oh, well, which wing is the most important, your life? Are your verbal witness. Amen. You got it right. Good job. Jesus wants you and I to be a witness and share our testimony and tell our story to lost friends and neighbors all around you. And if you will pray and ask God to use you, he'll wear you out in sharing Christ with people who will come to know the Lord through your witness. But there's a third truth here this morning I want you to see. He says, and you shall be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Four locations. Now, this verse, my friends, this passage, is the strategy in the book of Acts for the gospel to be shared. This is a strategy verse that I follow in my ministry. This is a strategy verse for every church. Those five verses, the Great Commission of making disciples of all nations, are to be placed in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. That is Jesus' strategy for reaching the world with the gospel, going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. Now, as I study the book of Acts and I study the New Testament, I realize that the early church grew rapidly and exponentially. Do you know why? because they were obedient to follow this passage, this command of Jesus. The early church was obedient to Jesus and his commands, and as a result, God blessed the church because they followed Jesus' commands even in the midst of great persecution. They were scattered throughout the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, as a pastor for many years, you know what my focus was on my Jerusalem? My Jerusalem was the city. I, I pastored in Dallas for 
for 15 years. And I focused mostly on just right around uh, my church there in Dallas. I, passed, I focused there. That was my priority. And then one day, as I read this passage, God grabbed my heart and he said, Danny, you've got to get beyond your Jerusalem. You've got to go to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. And finally I realized, you see, that's not a priority. But it rather is simultaneous. You see, it's not a priority to reach Jerusalem first and you get everybody saved in Jerusalem, then you move on. This past week, a family member of mine, we were visiting, he said, why are you going all over the world? You know, said, have you got everybody saved in Texas yet? I said, no, sir. Well, why are you going all over the world? One simple answer, Jesus told me to. Jesus told me to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. And you see, I believe it's supposed to go at the same time. Most churches just simply focus on their Jerusalem. Praise God that First Baptist Keller is going all over the world. This is a mission, Acts 1-8 church, and I, that's why I felt led to join it, because your pastor and Lawrence and others and your church is committed to sharing the gospel all over the world. And it might amaze you that most of the churches are not doing that. You see it here, and you take this as norm. Folks, unfortunately, you're an aberration. And the reason why most of these churches are not growing is because they don't take seriously this command of Jesus. And Jesus says we're to go into all four locations simultaneously. And how do you do that? How do you go to all four churches' locations at the same time? Three ways, simply. Through praying. I know this church prays for missionaries all over the world. Because I've been here with you on a Wednesday night when you prayed. And at other times you prayed. And I praise God and I want to say thank you this morning. Because I've had some of our trips listed on these projects. And you have prayed for us this past year, in the last few months. We've been to India. We've been to China. And we've been to Alaska. And we're getting ready to go to South Africa and Zambia. And Seattle. And Arizona. Other places where God has led us and leading us. And the second way, not only through praying for missionaries, is through giving. And I know this church does a great job in giving to the Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong and to giving to the very mission causes that are identified here through this church missions ministry. And you faithfully give. And I know you have a great missions budget, and I praise God for that. But unfortunately, there are many churches don't do a good job of making a commitment to praying and giving. And to come down to the third point there of fulfilling the command of Jesus and is the going. And I have discovered that God greatly blesses those churches who are committed to an Acts 1-8 mission strategy. God blesses those churches. I've seen churches that were dying and declining that made a fresh new commitment to Acts 1-8 and God began to turn those churches around and cause them to grow and be blessed because they were obedient to this passage of Scripture. Could it be, my friends, that that is why that 80% of our churches in the Southern Baptist Convention today are declining and dying is because they're not obedient to Acts 1.8? I believe it is. This church, in the book of Acts, we see them in verse 14. They prayed together. They got up in that upper room and they began to pray in a united prayer. 
And they were praying and they were listening to the words of Jesus, the voice of Jesus. And they were not incorporating the world's business and marketing practices, but rather they were listening and obeying the words of Jesus and the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And God blessed them and they grew from 12 to 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 to over 100,000 in just a few short years because they obeyed Acts 1-8. My friends, the question this morning is for you. Because you see, I heard this voice of Jesus in this passage, and as best I know, by the grace and power of God, I have been trying to be faithful to obey this verse in my own life. It's become my life verse. My question for you, my friends, are you obeying Acts 1.8? Are you obeying this passage of Scripture? What can we do to become Acts 1.8 Christians? You can pray, you can give, and you can go. But you say, oh, I can't go. I'm a senior adult. I'm just too old to go. I can't go. I can't go on a mission trip. I can't go. But I'll pray. I'll give. But I, I, but I can't go. Well, folks, let me remind you, I'm a senior adult. I'm 71 years old. Now, I feel like I'm 18, but I, I just, you know, I'm not. Okay? It is what it is. I just got back from Hong Kong, and we had, let's see, four or five senior adults on that trip. My mentor is Dr. William Moore from Tampa, Florida. And Dr. Moore went on that trip with me. Dr. Moore is 89 years old. I had two ladies on that trip that were in their late 70s doing mission work with me in China. Did you know, uh, does anybody all know uh, Janie Greer? Do y'all, anybody here know Janie Greer? Y'all know Janie? She's a member here. Janie is on my mission board. And Janie has been with Karen, my wife Karen and I, on four mission trips to India. And Janie's a senior adult, by the way. And she's been on four mission trips. And she says, I want to go with you this coming year to Hong Kong. I said, Janie, come on, girl. And then her daughter, Jennifer, who's a member here, said, Pastor Dan, I want to go with you to Hong Kong. So, you see, senior adults can do missions. You know, as I said, we've been doing missions now for 15, I was a pastor for 25, a senior pastor for 25 years, and the last 15 years I've been doing missions full time, and interim pastors. And I remember the oldest man that's ever been with me on a mission trip, you know how old he was? 93 years old. 93. Senior adult. Great missionary. And the hardest working couple that has ever served with me on a mission team, you know how old they were? 83 years of age. Newlyweds. Just recently married. And you know what? That mission trip, it was their honeymoon. Serving Jesus on missions in Seattle. The largest team I've ever taken was to New York City. 43 senior adults to New York City sharing their story, sharing Jesus. So friends, here's the concluding question. What about you? Will you be an Acts 1-8 Christian? 
and be filled and controlled with the Holy Spirit daily? Will you tell your story? Will you be a witness for Jesus every day? And will you be an Acts 1-8 Christian and go somewhere on a mission trip this year through your prayers, through giving, and through going on a short-term mission trip? But let me warn you, if you commit to going on a, on a short-term mission trip, it will change and transform your life. I've had to sell some of these pastors that have gone with me and some of their members have gone with me. Pastor, I'm, I'm so sorry that your member who went with me on the, on the mission trip, they have surrendered to full-time missions. I've had about eight people who become full-time missionaries. Jerry Rankin, he was a president of the, of the International Mission Board. He surveyed our missionaries, and he discovered this truth. 75% of our foreign missionaries, our International Mission Board missionaries, surrendered to missions full-time as a direct result of a short-term mission trip. So, friends, i got to warn you. If you make the commitment, if you make the decision that say, I'm going to be an Acts 1-8 Christian this year, and I'm going to take seriously the commands of Jesus Christ, God might call you to become a full-time missionary. And I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do with the rest of your life anyway? Sit and soak and sour? Are you going to get off your seats and serve Jesus? Let me just tell you this. My wife and I have had more fun and more joy of seeing people come to Christ all over the world in the last 15 years as we've served the Lord. It's the greatest experience of our life is being on mission for Jesus and allowing him to use us as we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit daily and asking God to use us and bless us as bold witnesses for Jesus around the world. Amen? God bless you. Father, I pray for these brothers and sisters. I pray that that uh, they will just respond to the call of Jesus and obey his command to be a bold witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, wherever the Lord might lead them, even to the uttermost, for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.